Well, I've called the message this morning, The Scandal of Christmas. And we're going to look at the Old Testament book of Hosea. So I'd invite you to open up to the book of Hosea. Now, that might sound like a bit of an interesting choice to go to the Old Testament book of Hosea to talk about Christmas, because there are no Christmas events that you can read about in Hosea. There's no angels, there's no shepherds, there's no Mary, and there's no Joseph. In fact, Hosea actually happened 750 years before Jesus was even born. But you can still find Jesus in the book of Hosea. Hosea is a story that tells us what Christmas means. So it doesn't have the events in it, but it tells us what it means. And I want to tell you, if you don't know the story of Hosea, it's not a sweet story. It's not a fluffy story, like we often hear about in today's Christmas in our world, where everything is very sentimental. It's actually more of a scandal. It is scandalous. Now, the, def- the definition of scandal in the dictionary is one of public shock. If you can imagine someone with their hand over their mouth, gasping, can you believe it? Like, if you could imagine if the Socceroos actually did win the World Cup, our hands would be over our mouth, gasping, can you believe it? And the reason is, is because we have no real right to win. You know, all the other countries have better players than us. So if we were to win, it would be an absolute scandal. But this is, of course, is a much bigger scandal than that. Let me set the scene for you about Hosea. It happened 750 years before Jesus. And the people of Israel, that's God's covenant people, they're living at peace. They're living in a time of prosperity. There's no war. There's plenty of money. There's good times, and everyone's just loving life. But while life is good, spiritually and morally, things are very bad. Things are very, very dark. The people of Israel, they rip each other off. They treat each other badly. They treat poor people like rubbish. They're sexually immoral. And worst of all, They bow down to other gods and worship them. And so in a nutshell, Israel, God's covenant people, have basically replaced God. Now, we don't have to think too hard to relate that to our time, do we? I mean, life is good. People can make money and make their way in life and be pretty comfortable. But spiritually and morally, we're in decline, aren't we? If you look in Australia, we're in a pretty bad, pretty dark kind of place. It keeps on getting worse and worse if you read the news or you read what the latest new thing is now that people are trying. I mean, life is good and yet things are very dark, spiritually and morally. And and when life is good, who needs God? Who needs God when life is good? But what makes this situation particularly worse is that Israel are God's own people. I mean, you'd expect this from other nations. You'd expect this from Egypt and the other godless nations, but this is God's own people who are replacing him. This is significant because God and Israel, they were basically like a marriage. If you think about a marriage together, they, were, they had a relationship like that. It was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a marriage and there were promises that were made to each other. 
When God met the people of Israel on Mount of Sinai that you read about in Exodus, it was, it was like a wedding ceremony. I promise to be faithful to you. Now you promise also to be faithful to me. And so that was the nature of the relationship. Now the thing is that makes it a bit, kind of covers it up a little bit, is that the people of Israel, they were still making sacrifices. So they were still coming and coming to the worship services and offering up the praise and all of that. But the problem was is that God could see their heart. He could see what was going on in the inside. He could see that their hearts had left him. They'd replaced him. And that replacement of him was painful. It actually hurts the heart of God. And that's what the book of Hosea really actually teaches us. It teaches us that when we sin, we don't just break God's law, we actually break his heart. We don't just break the, the law, we break his heart. And sometimes we forget this. We forget that God is actually a relational being. He's a person who weds himself to his people like a marriage. He loves us. He wants us to know him. And when we sin, it's not just this mechanical breach of like rules on a paper. Oh, you tripped up on that one. It's not that. It actually grieves the heart of God because he's a relational being. And probably the best way you could describe this is being cheated on or having a friend replace you with someone else. Having a spouse go off with someone else. Some of you actually know that kind of pain. You know that kind of pain. Now, when that happens to you, when you're replaced by a friend or a spouse or, or something like that, someone leaves you, why don't we just feel indifferent about that? Why, why don't we say, who cares? Well, the reason is, is because we were made in the image of God. That, that's how God feels. And we actually share that part of his nature. We feel that hurt when we're replaced. And so we can actually see this in God. God is somebody who actually feels and grieves when he is replaced. And so to communicate this to Israel, God gives Hosea probably the worst assignment you could ever get from God. Have a look at verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Three times the word is used, whoredom. Now, it's hard to tell exactly, but the woman Hosea is asked to marry, this prophet is asked to marry, is either a serial cheater a woman who commits adultery with other men over and over again, or she's already a prostitute, or she is going to become one. A woman who sells her body to other men for money. Now, God tells Hosea to go and marry someone like that. That's a very tough assignment. Who would want to do that? But this is bigger than just Hosea and his wife's personal marriage. You see, Hosea is going to serve God by being a living word picture. His marriage to an unfaithful spouse, even a prostitute, is going to be a demonstration of what Israel has become like to God. And the message is loud and clear. Israel, you have become spiritual adulterers. You have chased after other lovers. Now, this term, spiritual adultery, it's probably actually the best 
description of what sin actually is. Sin isn't just mistakes and misdemeanors, like a little lie, some greed, or an act of immorality. Behind all of those acts that we commit, those deeds, is an act of betraying God at the heart level, leaving God and our love for him behind and seeking to chase after other loves. That's what sin is. And so that's what Israel have done. And Hosea and his marriage to Gomer are going to reflect what that relationship is like. It's going to be this living parable as Hosea lives it out before their eyes. So have a look in verse 3. Verse 3, Hosea, he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, the birth of a son is always a welcome and joyous occasion. And there are actually two more children that are born in this marriage. But instead of it being a joyous and welcome thing, God is actually communicating that the fruit, the offspring of Israel's spiritual adultery, is actually producing judgment on them. Now, have a look at the names that are given to the children. You see it in the offspring. Verse 4, call him Jezreel, which means judgment. Verse 6, call him no mercy. And verse 8, call, oh, sorry, her name, no mercy. And verse 8, call his name not my people. Now, can, nice names. Can you imagine calling those children on the playground? Judgment, no mercy, not my people, come on side. But the reality of that is actually very serious. Their adultery is giving birth to judgment. That's what's going on here. Now, can you imagine being the people of Israel and you're seeing this and you're hearing this? It's a good time and there's peace and there's prosperity and everyone's living at ease. And Hosea, the prophet, the, you know, the doomsdayer, the downer, comes along saying, you are to God, people, like my unfaithful wife is to me. She has become a prostitute. My children's names are the sign of what is to come. Everyone would be like, go away. Get out of here. We don't want to hear this doomsday message. And the same is true today, isn't it? No one wants to hear, you know, that sobering kind of truth. People only want to be kind of buzzed with the things that keep us kind of our lives the same. But, but Israel ignores the warnings and continues to live like Goma, the unfaithful wife. And we see the heartbreak of that in chapter 2. And so Hosea is right in the middle of this marriage, you think about it, and suddenly his wife, Goma, has already begun to cheat on him with others. And the heartbreak for Hosea, the prophet, is real. And so in verse 2 of chapter 2, we read him say, Plead with your mother, plead. For she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. That she put away her whoring from her face and adultery from between her breasts. In verse 5, he says, For their mother has played the whore. She, has conceived, she who has conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers, who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. So she's found a better deal with other lovers. And those lovers provide for her, and she loves that. But verse 8 is the tragic irony of all of this. He goes on to say, She did not know that it was I who gave her the grain 
the wine and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Now catch the tragedy here. Hosea is out there. He's a prophet of God. He's calling his people back to him. He comes home from a long day preaching. And Goma, his wife, she's already out. She's already out for the night. And he goes out looking for her and he realises that she's in the hands of someone, of some kind of man who can't look after her and can't even provide for her. So the inference here is that out of love for her, he goes and gives money to the new lover so that he can actually provide for her. And the problem is, is that Goma, his unfaithful wife, thinks that it's the lovers who are providing for her, not him. And this is what Israel has been like to God. God delivered them out of Egypt, through the wilderness, through into the promised land, and yet Israel worships other gods for it. That's what's going on. Isn't this the way that we can often be with God? We're blessed with much and we often fail to recognise it coming from the hand of God and we chase after other loves as if those things are the origins of all our prosperity. Now, we often find initial satisfaction and buzz when we go out and chase after things in this world. Some of these things provide us with momentary pleasure. And and we can play it down and we can think that we're actually getting away with it. But in verse 13 of chapter 2, we see that while God may delay in his judgments, he will judge spiritual adultery. Have a look in verse 13. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewellery and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. The interesting thing is, is that while they did at this point live in a time of peace and prosperity and none of the warnings could get through them to them, it was only 30 or 40 years later that the Assyrians came and actually went straight through them and took away everything that they enjoyed. I find that kind of historical data, which you can look up in other biblical sources, quite interesting. Because when we read these types of things, these warnings about judgment coming on spiritual adultery, we think, ah, well, we think like Israel. Ah, that's, we don't worry about that. But actually look in history and see what happened. 30 or 40 years later, the Assyrians came and took them and took away everything that they enjoyed. The judgment was delayed, but it did come. God isn't mocked and he doesn't let sin go unpunished. And this is a sobering reminder, I think, for every believer that when our departs depart from God, we cannot continue to just follow that path forever and think that everything will be okay. When we recognise our sin, we must turn back to God. Now, I said that this story is a scandal, and it has been, hasn't it? There is Hosea marrying a prostitute. There are children called judgment. The nation is at an all-time low in spiritual adultery, immorality and injustice. There are scandals going on in this story. But we haven't yet seen the real scandal of the story yet. Because notice after the announcement of judgment in verse 13 there, Verse 14 starts with the word, therefore. 
And what you think is, okay, now what's going to be listed out are all the details of what those judgments are going to be. But that's not what you see. And this is the real shock. This is the real scandal. God says instead, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Now, what God is saying here is after judgment, there is going to be this new calling, this wooing of a faithful spouse to the unfaithful. He's going to tenderly speak to a broken, faithless spouse. Verse 15, and I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Now, the valley of Achor, that was a place where in the time of Joshua, after victory, you might remember the story, Achan hid some of the gold and the devoted things and he put them under his tent. He tried to take some of the spoils for himself and disobeyed God. And God judged the people for it. Judgment came down on them. But notice what he's saying here is that God is going to make that same valley where that happened, that place of judgment, a door of hope instead. He's going to reverse his judgment on them. You see, this is the real scandal of Hosea right here. It's not a shock that people ought to be judged for their sin, for their wrongdoing, for their cheating. We know that. That's normal. That's justice. That's what should happen. The shock and the scandal is that God would continue to love people who don't deserve it. That God would offer a door of hope in the place of judgment. This is the scandal of grace. That God loves people who don't deserve it. And to demonstrate this most powerfully... God gives Hosea another instruction. Notice he says there, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. See these words, Go again, Hosea. Now Hosea's wife, Gomer, she's she's been gone now for a long time, it seems. She's been with multiple men. She's left Hosea for dust. And at this point, she has sunk to the lowest point in her life. The man she is with is even willing, it seems, to sell her as a sex slave on the open market. And so she's in the, the, the marketplace. She's naked. She's ashamed. She's unable to do anything to save herself. And God is saying to Hosea, go again and claim her. Go and take her for yourself. And so you imagine the scene. Hosea goes and he sees the wife of his youth there whom he loved. And she's standing there and she's being sold. And remember, of course, according to the law, he's within his rights. And we saw this a few weeks ago. He's within his rights under the law to divorce her and to send her away. But in verse 2, he says, So I bought her for 15 shekels. And a homer and a lethek of barley. 
After all this agony that he has felt from his unfaithful wife, he sees her there in the market and he buys her back as his own. In her helpless state, she's brought back under the cover of her faithful husband. And this is what God is promising to do, to replace the judgment that they deserve with mercy and grace, to love people who don't deserve it. And the point is for you and me today, in case that it has been missed, is that in this story as we read it, we aren't to identify with Hosea. We are to identify with Gomer. We are the unfaithful. We are the spiritual adulterers who do deserve judgment. But in the place of judgment that comes on us all, God offers a door of hope to replace judgment with grace. I love this. This is the scandal. God loves people who don't deserve it. And this is ultimately how God demonstrates his grace to the world. I want you to stay with me here as I explain this. Later on in chapter 11 of Hosea, after this time and Hosea in the book, he details all the accusations against his people and that's kind of what happens between chapter 3 and 11. But in chapter 11 verse 1, he summarises kind of whatever, everything that's happened in the book and he says this, when Israel was a child, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. This is God saying that Israel was like a son to him. And when he saw them trapped in slavery in Egypt, which we read about in Exodus, he came to them and he delivered them out through the Red Sea. But then we read, the more they were called, the more they went away, they kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. And so it's like Hosea looks back to the, on the Exodus the great escape that God provided to Israel, and he's reminding everyone, and yet they've betrayed him. They've betrayed him. They've been spiritual adulterers. Well, now come forward with me to the Bible reading we had this morning in Matthew's Gospel and the birth story of Jesus in chapter 2, verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. So here, catch this, Matthew in his gospel, he looks at what Hosea says in Hosea 11 verse 1. He's looking at that and he says, just as God delivered Israel out of Egypt, this child Jesus is bringing a new exodus, a new deliverance, a new salvation for spiritual adulterers. And it will be an even greater deliverance than before. God will make a new covenant with his people. One which does not depend upon them, but depends upon him alone because it's going to be sealed with the blood of this child. It's going to be sealed with his perfect sacrificial blood. See, this is why Jesus was born into the world. This is why he came. Jesus became a human being. 
And he came out into the marketplace to people who have sold themselves out to every kind of love, people like you and I. From a throne of glory, he came to a cradle in the dirt. He became one of us and he did what we cannot do for ourselves. He purchased us back, just like Hosea did Gomer. He purchased us back with his sacrificial blood on the cross. And to know God does not depend on our faithfulness. It depends solely on Jesus coming into the world as a baby and dying in our place to take the judgment that we deserved on himself and offer to us a door of hope. It is grace in the place of judgment. This is the scandal of Christmas because Jesus has come. It is love for people who do not deserve it. And all you must do to receive this gift of grace, well, what could Goma do? as she's standing there being sold on the marketplace and being bitted on by others, what else could she do but to fall into the arms of her loving husband? To be bought by him, to come into his arms by his grace. This is what it means to become a Christian. This is what it means to be saved. Is to simply see the one who seeks to purchase you, has purchased you on the cross, and to fall into his arms to receive his grace, to receive his mercy, to receive the door of hope that is available through Jesus. He is the door. He is the way, the life, the life and the truth, the way, the truth and the life. And so for those of you who have not believed, I pray that you might see this morning that you, that we are just like Goma. We are spiritual adulterers. And we cannot do anything to save ourselves. And what we must do is we must simply look to the one who by his grace purchases us with his blood. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what gives you new life. That's what gives you new hope. That's what gives you joy. Eternal life with him. For those of you who have believed, why can this be? Christmas be anything but just boring to you and old and stale and sentimental? Well, I think it's because as we draw to the end of this year of 2022, you might begin to think upon your past year. And when you think on that, you think of your failures You can think upon your sin, how little time perhaps you've spent with God, how little time in prayer, how often things have given you a thrill in life, but God doesn't seem to thrill your heart. God wants you to know that there is still grace for you. He comes for those who have failed. Go again, Hosea. And he doesn't come for you based on a naive assessment of your character. Oh yeah, he or she, they're doing pretty well, like Santa. I'll come to those who have been good. He doesn't come on that basis. He exalts his own mercy and his own grace, and that's what motivates him to pursue us sinners. And so God knows all the ways that you have sold yourself out this year, this week, to other loves, And yet his grace is calling you back to him. Return to me. 
I love you. I love you. Don't sell yourself out to other loves anymore. Come and find your worth. Come and find life in me. You know, this is the only way that you can get out of a spiritual rut. It's the only way out of ongoing habitual sin that you might be trapped in. It's not just by trying to grit your teeth and immediately go to the spiritual disciplines or to start doing some serving or reading your Bible more or anything like that. Though those are good things. It's to once again, by God's grace and the power of his Holy Spirit, be shocked by grace. The scandal of his, of his grace, that he loves those who do not deserve it. So don't let his grace leave you unmoved and unchanged. Let his grace fill your heart with gratitude and humble you and bring you to a place of surrender. You know, when our hearts are swimming in his grace, it weeds out all complaining. It breeds gratitude and thanksgiving. And we don't hold on to unforgiveness of people. This Christmas, you might need to forgive someone that you've been holding a grudge against. How the grace of God flowing through you, that you're a person who has not deserved his love and yet he has given it. This message offers you a door of hope this Christmas. And I pray that it may wake us up from that place that we can get to where we say, you know what, life is good. I don't need God. May this Christmas be as the hymn writer said, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. He took my sins and my sorrow. And he made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvellous. How wonderful. And my song will ever be. How marvellous. How wonderful is my Saviour's love for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. for your grace and your mercy to us. We are people who deserve nothing but judgment. And yet in the place of judgment, you have poured out mercy and grace through your son, the Lord Jesus, who came into this world and put on human flesh and died in our place. And he offers us the life Lord, that we have searched for in so many different places and have come up short. But when we trust in Jesus, we know that life, that joy, that gladness that is eternal. I pray this morning it might thrill our hearts with it again, the scandal of grace, that you might fill our hearts and shed your love abroad in our hearts again this Christmas, I pray, in this church. And I pray that people... Lord, around us, people 
in our neighbourhoods and workplaces and in this neighbourhood and community might experience that love through us, that grace through us, I pray. I ask this, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand together as we sing.